Welcome to the Project Censored Show on Pacifica Radio. I'm your host, Mickey Huff. When the pandemic hit, many of America's best writers, foreign correspondents, investigative reporters, essayists, poets, and other artists were looking for a new place to tell a story, a different kind of story, one that went beyond false statements and false equivalency of the world of corporate journalism, and thus was born a new online publication, journaloftheplaguegears.ink, that's journaloftheplaguegears.ink, was founded by author Susan Zakin, now the editor-in-chief. For the hour today, we talked to Susan Zakin about this new online publication, Journal of the Plague Years. We're also joined by one of its contributing editors, award-winning author and professor, Steve Erickson. Steve Erickson wrote a new type of not memoir, not novella, but something very different that chronicled his experiences living in the United States during the pandemic, during a contentious election year. We talked to Steve Erickson about his latest work published exclusively at Journal of the Plague Years, American Stutter. Stay with us. Welcome to the Project Censored Show on Pacifica Radio. I'm your host, Mickey Huff. On today's program, we're going to be talking with a couple of writers, literary greats, some may say. We're joined by Susan Zakin. We're going to be talking about Journal of the Plague Year, an online publication that started during the pandemic that's now called Journal of the Plague Years. You can find it at journalofthepleagueyears.inc. Susan Zakin is the editor there and is author of several books, including Coyotes and Pound Dogs, Earth First, and The Environmental Movement. Her writing has appeared in GQ, Vogue, Salon, and The New York Times. We are also joined by Steve Erickson, the author of 10 novels and two other books about American politics and popular culture. We'll be talking specifically about Steve Erickson's latest, American Stutter. He is also a professor, and over the years, he has written for Esquire, Rolling Stone, Smithsonian, Salon, LA Weekly. The list goes on. He is a distinguished professor at the University of California, Riverside. He's received the American Academy of Arts and Letters Award in Literature, a fellowship from the John Simon Guggenheim Foundation, the Lannan Lifetime Achievement Award, a grant from the National Endowment for the Arts, and twice has been nominated for the National Magazine Award for Criticism and Commentary. Well, we're certainly going to be getting into some criticism and commentary today as we talk about Steve Erickson's latest American Stutter that is available at Journal of the Plague Years. But before we get into that work and what it entails, let's start with you, Susan Zakin. Long vaunted career here in literature, in publishing, in editing. You launched a pretty amazing site and source publication online around the beginning of the COVID 19 pandemic, Journal of the Plague Year. Could you talk a little bit about how did that get started? What's the mission and purpose? Who's involved? And then we'll move forward and uh, we'll bring Steve into the conversation. Susan. Well, thanks, Mickey. You know, I think like a lot of folks, I grew up on the new journalism and 
by the time I got out of college, it was the Reagan years and newspapers were backing off from those wild days. So I felt like I had sort of missed all the fun. I got in at the last minute and experienced some of the raffishness of old school newspapers. And then I I wrote for magazines. But I'd always wanted to write fiction. And one of the reasons I appreciate Steve's work so much. And I went back to school and got an MFA in fiction, but I also took a lot of nonfiction and poetry. And I wrote a novel. And when that was done, I was kind of like, what's next? And then the pandemic hit. And it's funny because you and I met actually on a Zoom call with David Talbot. I had written for him eons ago when I was in San Francisco. I was working at the Center for Investigative Reporting. Everybody knew each other in the community. And he and I had been on Facebook complaining about all these great journalists who, I mean, because everybody was, they couldn't stop themselves from writing during the Trump years. And all this great stuff was online and nobody was getting paid for it. And I talked to David, David was thinking about starting a magazine. I talked to him on the phone and you know, he's so charming. I got off the phone, the pandemic had just hit. We were all in shock. And I thought, well, doing this job used to be fun because he was so delightful. And I just got up, I think a day or two later, and I slapped up this website. I had worked on startups. I had written business plans. There was no business plan. But what the magazine turned into, of course, I had a captive audience, which was very helpful, and a captive staff, essentially. (laughs) But what the magazine turned into was an amalgam of journalism, the work of journalists who had real chops, but also the real panoply of creative writing techniques and nonfiction. I mean, journalism had really, I think, stagnated. And it started in the 80s when, you know, the field was already in trouble then and stopped taking risks, stopped taking risks creatively and in terms of form. And I realized also from teaching, because I taught at University of Arizona, I had also taught in Africa. I think I had some understanding of what younger readers connect with. And a lot of that is per, uh, personal experience that's not necessarily self-indulgent, but it makes the reader trust you because they feel that you're speaking honestly. And again, I would refer people to Steve's writing on that. But we do everything. You know, we were just like on overdrive when we started the magazine because there was so much news all the time and we were trying to do it in a way that just spoke directly to people. And it attracted writers who, frankly, I'm in awe of, really. Um, Michael Gilmore, Steve was kind enough to let us first publish a few shorter pieces that were part of American Stutter. Bruce Bauman, Blanche Boyd, who I have known for eons, hadn't written nonfiction for a long time. And if anyone has not read her book, Tomb of the Unknown Racist, that came out in 2019, it's a brilliant book. And she's from Charleston, South Carolina. And she knew all about the boogaloos and the three percenters and writes like an angel. You know, she she used to write for the Village Voice in its heyday. So I, I think we we got something. We got some of the vibe of what had sidetracked me, because I always wanted to write fiction, but it sidetracked me into journalism and sort of led me astray you know, in, my, in my youth. And, but we updated it. 
And I also had felt that American, I, I don't want to sound pompous, but American fiction had abdicated to some extent. And, uh, you know, there was this really mistaken idea that political fiction or political write, creative writing was, was didactic and you didn't want to do that. I think we're coming out of that. And by the way, I want to say that the magazine's URL is Journal of the Plague Years, I-N-K, yes. not I-N-C, because we're not corporate. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just a complete surprise. Uh, my feeling was that the revenue models didn't work very well anyway. So let's try to go back to what drew us into the field to begin with. So Susan Zakin, again, it's Journal of the Plague Years now, dot I-N-K. Certainly one of the great things that came out of that meeting with David Talbot, one of my favorite intersections of a journalist, historian, as a human being, the David Talbot Show does fantastic work. And you've, Susan, put together a fantastic masthead here with a great mission. Uh, of course, we're going to talk to Steve Erickson in a moment. How did you come to talk to Steve about American Stutter, since we're going to be segueing into that here momentarily? Steve gave us this gift. I mean, it was incredible. Steve, it was so generous and I think really made the magazine. And I, I, I didn't know about it. And Steve gave it to us. He offered to, to have us publish it. But I have to say that I didn't realize it's a novella length piece of nonfiction. It should be a book, really. It's, it's so, it was something that was so in tune with what we were doing because it gave a voice to what we had all been going through. And actually, after I read it, um, I read it obviously a couple of times, but even after the first time, Steve's voice was in my head several weeks after that. What we were trying to do was basically provide both intellect and heart and a way for people to process it. So it just basically fell, fell in our lap. Steve Erickson, this is a great time to bring you in, distinguished professor, novelist, author, among many, many things. American Stutter is, well, why don't you describe it for our audience? And this was published Memorial Day weekend this year, 2021. It was put online at the Journal of the Plague Years .ink. Steve Erickson, you have a really riveting introduction for Memorial Day weekend, followed by one of my favorite epigraphs from George Orwell, and that is, a people that elect corrupt politicians, imposters, thieves, and traitors are not victims, but accomplices. Steve Erickson, talk to us about American Stutter. Well, first of all, thanks, Mickey, and thank you, Susan, for having me on the show. It started out a journal, and, and I preserved that form for the piece. I didn't know I was writing a book. It wasn't my intention to write a book, but because I'm a writer, I felt the need to chronicle what was going on. And every now and then I would extract something from it and run it on social media and see if it got any kind of reaction. And it, it grew and it grew and it grew and it grew to the point that, for instance, what is published in Journal of the Plague Year is probably about a quarter of what I actually wrote. I wound up cutting a, a lot of it because I was repeating myself and I didn't want, once I knew it was going to be published, I didn't want readers getting too bogged down in the weeds of how many Latino votes Bernie Sanders got in the Nevada caucus kind of thing. In the end, it didn't mean to be about a campaign per se or a pandemic per se. It meant to be about the country. 
And so when I finished it, I took it to my agent and she approached a few places and some of them seemed to be frightened off by it. Some of them were saying, yeah, this might be good to publish in the year 2023. And I felt a certain urgency about publishing it that matched the urgency I felt in uh, writing it. And I didn't want to wait around until 2023. And I didn't care so much what form it took as that, as that it took a form that got to people right away. And I was aware of Susan's journal. It wasn't something that I spent a lot of time overthinking. I thought, I want to find somebody who will put this up quickly and get it out there quickly. And Susan was ready to do that where other people had kind of hemmed and hawed. And that's how that fell into place. You know, there's there's not much of an alternative press anymore. And Steve, you worked at some point, you worked at the LA Weekly at a great time when Michael Ventura was there. And he's a terrific writer. I feel like that in a way, this was the spirit of that kind of publication. I think that's a good observation. I was there when when Ventura was there, when Tom Carson was there, when John Powers was there, when Ella Taylor was there, Harold Meyerson was there. It was a writer's newspaper. Kit Rackless was, was the editor. And, you know, it was the kind of place where a really good editor, as Kit is, sort of gave what I would like to think really good writers a free hand to write what they were passionate about, regardless of whether it fit into whatever the weekly agenda was. And yeah, that kind of spirit of urgency and exuberance is, I hope, present in in the new work as well. I'd like to remind our listeners that you're tuned to the Project Censored Show on Pacifica Radio. I'm your host, Mickey Huff. On today's program, we are speaking with the editor of Journal of the Plague Years, Susan Zakin, also an author. We are joined as well by Steve Erickson, who's a contributor to Journal of the Plague Years, also author of 10 novels and a distinguished professor at University of California, Riverside. We're going to continue our conversation both about the work at Journal of the Plague Years and we're going to talk more specifically about the latest work from Steve Erickson called American Stutter. Please stay with us.
Welcome back to the Project Censored Show on Pacifica Radio. I'm your host, Mickey Huff. On today's program, we are focusing on literature, cultural criticism, and the Journal of the Plague Year, which is actually now journaloftheplagueyears.ink, a publication born during the pandemic. We're joined by the editor and author, Susan Zakin, from Journal of the Plague Year, as well as award-winning author Steve Erickson. A little bit more about our guest, Steve Erickson has written the great American novel not once, but almost a dozen times, plus some of the smartest political nonfiction around. He's a Lannan Lifetime Achievement Award winner and American Academy of the Arts Letters Award in Literature. He's a native of Los Angeles, and he is an amazing author who is writing now. It's not a memoir, and it's not a novel, and we're going to talk to Steve about that here momentarily but it really captures the essence of the state of the country of the United States during the pandemic. And of course, Susan Zakin was once called a female environmental Hunter Thompson. So we'll be going more gonzo with Susan Zakin here throughout the hour, author of Coyotes and Pound Dogs, Earth First and the Environmental Movement, her history of the U.S. environmental movement. It's consistently ranked as one of the best books on the environment. So I'm honored to have the both of you on the Project Censored show. And Steve Erickson, I'm going to ask this question for you to sort of expand upon as you will. You mentioned before the break that this ended up migrating towards Journal of the Plague Year as an online publication after you took it through your agent and to several other publishers. And I'm not insinuating that this is some kind of censored project or that your book was being censored in some way. But what about this publication, American Stutter? What about the message here, and had you experienced something like this before in your career? I had not experienced something directly like this. The line that sticks in my mind in terms of this particular work from one of the New York editors that I took it to was that she was afraid the the ferocity of the work, and that was her, her word, the ferocity would put readers off. And I clearly was not ready or willing to water the work down to make it less ferocious for her sake. So it was a matter of finding somebody who could not only withstand that uh, ferocity, but validate it in terms of uh, the publication. There was an editor at a magazine I worked for, and one of his jobs was to tone Susan down. But I have matured out of the Hunter Thompson thing. I'm way, I really, my writing has matured. Steve is obviously known as a, a novelist, and the novels are off the hook. I mean, I, I have in, incredible respect for what you've done, which is to fuse a sort of emotion about America with an incredible narrative and just really do these amazing things of alternate history and it washes across a book, but is incredibly readable. But I just did want to ask you about American Nomad because I hadn't read that and I read it before we were going to do this interview. That blew my mind because it came out in 1997. And, you know, there are a lot of doppelgangers, doubles in your work, but the big double is the two Americas that I see. And I really saw that there are many, many things that were prescient in that book. You covered the Republican campaign, but you really seemed in 1996, I guess, when you were doing the work, to see this fracture in America. And I was curious, had you thought about that before you went on the campaign trail? 
or did it emerge from you or am I just imagining this whole thing and it's not really in there? Thank you, first of all, for the kind words. It's definitely in there. I had written about it before in a piece called American Weimar that ran in the Los Angeles Times Magazine. And that was what got me the Rolling Stone gig to follow the 1996 campaign from which in in time-honored tradition, I was eventually fired by Jan Wenner. Um, So it seemed to me clearer then that something bad was happening in terms of the country, that there was some fracture developing that has led us up to the point we're at now. I don't think that anybody paying attention can be completely startled by the advent of Trumpism. Before there was Trumpism, there was Gingrichism. And I I remembered in the mid-90s thinking that the Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich, represented something new and toxic in American politics that we hadn't seen before, this kind of scorched earth demonization of the American other, whoever that might happen to be. And that's something that Trump just turned into into performance art 20 years later. So the work, the, the book you're talking about was informed by that conviction, as was my last novel, Shadow Bond, as is American Stutter. I think it's something that's that's been coming for a while, and it probably came much more abruptly than we anticipated, particularly following the Obama years, but it's been lurking on the horizon, and it's still lurking. One of the points I make in, in American Stutter is that Trump did not begat Trumpism. It's, it's, it's the other way around. Trump is a symptom in, in many ways of neoliberal policies for over half a century. We wrote in United States of Distraction, we go back quite a ways before Nixon. These directions were decided, you know, going back to the Lewis Powell memo in the Nixon administration, these rightward surges. And there's a couple things that came up, Steve Erickson and Susan Zagan, I wanted to get your take on because it, it dovetails with the issues of journalism and the role journalism plays in both creating more bifurcated, hyperpartisan, at-odds society versus a more informed and progressively inclusive one and participatory. You mentioned 1996 when you're covering the Republican campaign trail. Well, let's not forget that's the birth of Fox News and Roger Ailes that same year. And that's also the Telecom Act that further deregulated media. You were mentioning Susan Zakin in the 80s when you saw things backsliding and stagnating. Well, let's not forget Ben Bigdiki and the canary in that coal mine and the media ownership with media monopoly. So here we are decades later and come back to Lao Tzu. If you're not careful, you're going to wind up where you're heading. And we've been heading here all along, Steve Erickson. Absolutely. When I was covering the campaign, I was driving across the country and I couldn't turn on the radio without hearing Rush Limbaugh. He was at a zenith at that point. And I think it's important to add, if if I might, I I say this as somebody who was raised a conservative Republican, that it's no longer a matter of right versus left. It's an up and down matter of democracy versus authoritarianism. That was part of what moved me 
to write this particular work. Well, Steve Erickson, you talk about Plague America. You talk about America wearies of democracy in, in the beginnings of American stutter. And a great term, too, old civil war, almost this permanent cultural warfare and uh, identity politics. And, and again, I also am very heartened to hear you talk about not just right v. left, but up and down, top versus bottom. And 10 years after Occupy, they did give us the 99%. But in, in many cases, we're left with these legacies, and we seem to still be spiraling in this cold civil war direction. Can you talk a little bit about that, Steve Erickson, the cold civil war in America, wearies of democracy? I think it, it goes beyond the ideological. You know, part of it is, is exacerbated by class conflicts. Part of it is exacerbated by economic conflicts in which there are people who genuinely feel like they have been left out of economic progress. A huge part of it, I think, is cultural. And then, you know, I, I think that there's a part of it that's uh, pathological by which I mean people are going to believe what they want to believe. Whether you read Orwell or, you know, the rise and fall of the Third Reich, the notion of objective truth is one of the first casualties of an authoritarian impulse. And and it's still going on. I was watching a news show the other night, maybe you guys saw it as well, and they were talking to a doctor about this new surge in the pandemic. And the doctor was relaying to the interviewer and to us as the audience that he had, he had just had a woman in, in the hospital that day who said she would rather die than be vaccinated. You know, in which case you, you question why is she in the hospital then? And what has happened to the pathology of uh, the country that we've gone off the edge of reason? Because when that's the case, that I think is, is the essence of the Cold Civil War. We're not talking about opinions of right and wrong. We're talking about psychological values that people adhere to even in the face of reason. I wish I saw that changing soon, but I don't. I think it's an ongoing cold civil war in which sometime over the course of the next generation, one side is going to have to win and one side is going to have to lose. You know, I went years ago when I was in journalism school, I read Journal of the Plague Year by Defoe, which was then regarded as the first literary nonfiction book, and that was, I think, before it was generally known that he had, in fact, made it up, but that he was six when, when the plague happened. But if you look at that book, and you also read accounts of Ebola in West Africa, the irrationality, I'm not, I'm not saying it wasn't there before, it was, it's been growing, I think, really since the 80s, if you remember some of the coverage in the Atlantic at that time about fundamentalist religion on the rise. But when people are terrified, as let's face it, we are now, this is what happens, I think. I don't know, Steve, if that's your feeling, but this is going to turbocharge things. And I think it's going to turbocharge that for years to come. Susan Zakin and Steve Erickson, I just have to remind everyone, this is the Project Censored Show on Pacific Radio. I'm your host, Mickey Huff. We will continue our conversation about American Stutter after this musical break. Stay with us. 
Welcome back to the Project Censored Show on Pacifica Radio. I'm your host, Mickey Huff. On today's program, we are joined by editor and author Susan Zakin of Journal of the Plague Years.ink. We're also joined by distinguished professor and author Steve Erickson. We're talking about American Stutter, the latest publication available at Journal of the Plague Years.ink. Steve Erickson and Susan Zakin, before the break, riffing a little bit on the uh, lamenting, if you will, the ascendancy of postmodernism, the pop culture into the post-truth world. The late night satirists like Stephen Colbert warned us of truthiness well over a decade ago. But post-truth has become more than a political fad. It's part of the playbook. We mentioned earlier that Trumpism predated Trump and we're still going to contend with that element of politics in the United States hereafter. But the Trump administration did give us people like Kellyanne Conway, who got on news programs to talk about alternative facts that would buttress fake news in a post-truth world. And so that gift seemingly keeps on giving, and we see politicians actually from both parties double down on the ability to remain in a deranged and delusional alternate or separate reality for those folks that remember Superman and the the Super Friends, like a bizarro world, right? The upside down, backwards world. Steve Erickson, let's go with you. You said right from the get-go in your latest American Stutter, this is not an FCC memoir. Can't say that word. Explain this. It's something that's not a novel and that's not a journal. Right. And it said you define it as the literary equivalent of an hallucinogen. How do you see American Stutter in that way, in this kind of climate that we're now in? Well, I wanted to write something that would work both on a political level and on an emotional level. While the country was falling apart, there were aspects of my life that were changing. I wanted to look at what was happening to the country, kind of refracted through that personal lens and vice versa. I wanted to look at what was going on in in my life in the context of this larger falling apart. I think everybody seemed to feel this sense of unraveling. Whatever hinge I could find between the personal and the political that's where I wanted to to write this book. And ultimately, you know, in shaping the book and in cutting it down and in making it into a thing, I wanted to find the right balance between those two. And I wanted to convey a sense of how one was informed by the other. Susan Zakin, do you want to comment on how you see the approach in American Stutter? I think it's the future of journalism. I think that if you look at what people respond to, they respond to narrative, they respond to personal experience. And I think that the the field has been groping unsuccessfully for a future for quite a while. And I really believe that This kind of writing, which is impeccable in both its discernment of the political space, 
and deals with history on a deep level, but also deals with the baseball statistics of elections, but also is unsparing in its use of the first person. You know, you grapple with, as someone with a journalism background, when you use the first person is, how can I do this without making it me, 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 and the pathetic fallacy? And, and I think Steve shows us how to do that. And for someone who's as very modest, and uh, I think of some other writers who might adopt that stance. I really uh, believe in journalism still, but I believe that it has to change. And it hasn't been very good. Somebody said to me once, somebody who had been in the nonfiction program at Iowa said, journalism has never had a language to talk about itself. And, you know, as a journalist, you go, oh, I don't want to tell you now. I don't want to overthink it. But we have to think about it. And we have to think about it where it's going. So that's the hopeful part of all of this. As we talk about the end of the world as we know it, is that I believe there is a way forward. And, you know, I think to some extent it's also multimedia. We have playlists in all of our stories. I should give a shout out to Brian Cullman, who's a a musician, a producer, an incredible writer who wrote a lot for the Paris Review and also for details. And bringing all of our interests, we're all complicated people and we're all cultural omnivores. And we need to bring all of that to this enterprise because it's so important for, for not just for the U.S., but for the world, frankly. Steve Erickson, let's do a, a quick spot check with you on American Stutter just to show some of the breadth, or maybe you can pick a couple of points on a timeline. This is, as we mentioned earlier, this is a long play, this publication. There's a lot going on here, and there's, there's a long timeline, right? You're starting at the beginning of the pandemic. You're working through an incredibly tumultuous election year at the same time. Can you talk a little bit about maybe a couple flashpoints for you? You stopped, if I'm not mistaken, the piece stops after the January 6 events at the Capitol building at the end of January earlier this year. But could you put maybe a couple flashpoints in there or a few points where you felt a shift or, or something changing or, or even descending further down the path that you were darkly predicting in some ways? I actually started the journal back around the Mueller report and the sort of non-reaction to it. And so the advent of the pandemic itself becomes one of those flashpoints. It shows up in, what was it, March of 2020, just as the Democratic primary was reaching a conclusion. It's funny how sometimes real life will lend itself to certain chapter demarcations that you weren't anticipating. And then, obviously, the other flashpoint is George Floyd. And particularly as a father of of an African-American daughter, I was constantly learning just what a clueless white liberal I am, and seeing things through eyes that I wouldn't have normally been able to, to see through. It just felt, especially by the fall of last year, it felt like a lot of things were hitting critical mass, topped off by 
a flat-out assault on democracy. So I didn't have to invent a lot of flashpoints. Life invented them for me and gave me plenty of plot turns, a few of which I could have done without. Indeed. Susan Dakin, how about for you during, during the same period, because Journal of the Plague Year was publishing, was posting, just riffing off a couple of those flashpoints that Steve Erickson laid out, what could you contribute there? Anything stand out? We started off being more straight journalism. I had some really good reporters. You know, one of the big questions for me was New York being the center of the universe and and such such a huge city. Why were the hospitals overwhelmed? How could this be happening? I somehow talked this very good investigative reporter who had covered healthcare for 10 years into doing a story for us and really answered that question. And it was, um, as one might expect, the neoliberal capitalist approach to healthcare. But it ended up being a story not just about New York, but about inequality in healthcare all around the country. But there was a vast difference between if you were in AOC's district and if you're on the Upper East Side. In terms of the, in terms of what resources were you, were available to, but it was just unfathomable to me that they were having to send a ship, which ended up not being used, actually, to New York. I mean, you know, you would think it would go to a rural, you know, that there would be emergency assistance to a rural state, but um, so that was that was very interesting about the privatization of healthcare, which we had been aware of, but maybe not in the same way. That was a big deal, and then I have to say, just patting ourselves on the back. We did, we did do something about the Latino vote. We had Luisita Lopez Torregrosa. I don't know how I talked her into writing for us. I mean, she had been an editor at the New York Times. She was on contract to Vanity Fair. She still writes for Vogue online and NBC. She had taught journalism. And we did a piece on the Latino vote really before anybody was paying attention to it. And, and that's going to be very, very important how that swings in the future. So I think as the election was revving up and those questions were starting to be asked about how do you get those people in the middle, what's going to happen with them, those stories were a big deal. But then after a while, I have to say it became, it was so fast and furious that we were just rocking stuff out. We try to go more in depth and do explainer kind of pieces because I know from especially from teaching, but it's also, you can't be an expert on everything. So, you know, if you're 22, you're not going to know about what happened in the 90s. So we did this big, I learned quite a bit from it, actually, explainer on Christian right and how it rewrote history. And this cuts to really what Steve deals with in his fiction, actually. We should talk about American Stutter because it's amazing about an alternate history. The, the Christian right essentially taught, uh, promulgated an alternate American history. I know that sounds really crazy, but it is what happened. There are these kind of cheeseball faux historians who packaged and marketed to a big chunk of America a really distorted view of the framers of the Constitution. 
it's an ongoing historiographic battlefield uh, between 1619 and 1776 projects and on and on. We're, we're back to the weaponization of history. You know, Gary Nash bemoaned in the 90s, right? And we're seeing it again with laws in some near 30 states on critical race theory. I teach in the social sciences, and I don't think I heard the phrase critical race theory more than half a dozen times in some of the courses that I've been teaching. And now it seems to be everywhere and everybody's an expert about it, why it needs to be taught or banned. And it seems like neither side understands it very well. We're going to do our final segment with Steve Erickson and Susan Zaken. You're listening to the Project Censored Show, Pacific Radio. I'm Mickey Huff. We're going to conclude today's program after this brief musical break. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Project Censored Show on Pacifica Radio. I'm your host, Mickey Huff. On today's program, we've been speaking to the editor of Journal of the Plague Years.ink, Susan Zaken. We are also joined by a contributor to the site, a well-known author of fiction as well as nonfiction, a distinguished professor at UC Riverside. We are joined also by Steve Erickson. His latest publication is American Stutter. We've been talking some about that on today's program. It's available online at Journal of the Plague plaguejears.ink. Susan Zakin, Steve Erickson, before the break, the concept of alternative history and people drafting alternative histories to sort of rewrite the past to shape the present and guide the future, channeling George Orwell here. Steve Erickson, let's talk about this alternative history phenomenon. First of all, I should assert mea culpa. As a fiction writer, I trade in alternative histories and alternative futures and alternative presence and create them all the time. But to pick up on what Susan was saying, which I think is important, you've got tens of millions of white people in this country 
who do not want to admit 150 years after the fact that the Civil War was about slavery. It was about economics. Well, yeah, it was about economics in that one side was a slave economy. It's about states' rights. Well, yeah, it was about states' rights in that some states were fighting to protect slavery. And it's hard, I think, for Americans to, to come to grips with who we're supposed to be if we're lying to ourselves about who we have been. And um, you can go on Amazon right now and you can find a whole bunch of alternative revisionist genre about Abraham Lincoln. All the ways in which Abraham Lincoln was a perpetuator of slavery. And to be sure, Lincoln's record on slavery was five steps forward, four steps back when up until at least the last couple of years of his life. But the effort, the endeavor to recreate the meaning of the Civil War, which I think is arguably the most telling and defining conflict in the country's history is pretty manifest. Susan Zakin? Here's where I become the journalist. In my novel is actually is set in a West African country that was the epicenter of the slave trade. It was a creature of the Enlightenment, much like the U.S. There's an obvious parallel there. However, you know, the debate that's going on now in the country, I find often counterproductive because it sucks up all the air in the room. And my concern is the speeding train of climate refugees that is coming toward us. I'm actually doing a story on this. The State Department has a backlog of visa applications. This is legal immigration of almost 600,000 people. It is at a complete standstill. They're using COVID basically as an excuse. And in that way, I, I mean, I know that this might sound a bit flip or extreme. I feel like Trump won because the system was in breakdown before that. So what we're looking at, the, the rate of human migration is higher than it's ever been in history, even allowing for population growth. What we're looking at is this millions of stateless people and the people dying in the Mediterranean now on boats. This is a new middle passage. And I think we need to pay attention to this. And this is what doesn't get looked at. Well, Susan Zagan, it's interesting, too. My day hat is a co-chair of the history department over at Diablo Valley College. And so I'm very historically mindful of the present. And so these things fascinate me to no end, the intersections of them. And something just struck me moments ago, the numbers, 600,000. That's about how many people died during the Civil War. There were roughly 400 plus thousand slaves at the time of the Civil War. So there's another number floating around. You're now talking about another 600 that are in this middle passage limbo, another kind of slavery. Steve Erickson, earlier in the program, we were riffing on the cold civil war to pull a little bit from something attributed to Mark Twain. History might not repeat itself, but it certainly rhymes. I really want to just talk about Shadow Bond briefly because it feels like a distillation of what I've read of your work. It's a story of um, there are many doubles. I remember writing on a little post-it, so many double gongers, I can't count them. Elvis, Elvis's brother. Um, but what I really felt from it and I, is the possibility of America, that there are so many futures for America. 
And America is, of course, the land of limitless possibility. Is it still that? For those who haven't read the novel, it opens with the reappearance of the Twin Towers in the Dakota Badlands. And that that attracts millions of people from around the world to kind of make a, a pilgrimage to it. And, and it sets in motion a number of stories, which, like Susan was referring to, allude to a divided America, a literally divided America politically and, uh, and geographically. I should just add, I finished my first draft of this novel the same month that Donald Trump announced for the presidency. And I thought I was making it all up. And while we haven't quite come to the point yet where the country is literally divided from itself in terms of, of maps and borders, it certainly feels like, like a country that is divided from itself in terms of what it means to be American and there isn't another country on earth, and I don't think I'm waxing sentimental here, there is not another country on earth where the meaning of that country is at the core of its existence. People define themselves as Americans, not because they live within certain borders, but presumably because they believe in certain things. And those things, those things feel like they're coming apart. Susan Zakin, where do you see us going in the Journal of the Plague years, plural? We had no business plan, no plan. It was a jazz improvisation. And then, and then we suddenly realized that the plague was going to last a bit longer than we had expected. And the magazine was going to last longer than we expected. So it's free because your founder is bit of an anarchist. However, we do have paid subscriptions, which are voluntary and a sliding scale. I'd like to publish some books, actually. I want to partner up with a book publishing company, and I'd like to find some of those orphans out there that deserve publication. And the more corporatized publishing gets, and the more, I'll leave it at that, the more really beautiful orphans there will be out there. So that's one direction we're going. I'd like to have a literary conference, if we can ever be in the same place again, in Joshua Tree, where, where I live. Because, you know, one of the things I really admire about Steve is that when, as American fiction kind of became minimalist and suburban and very sort of navel-gazing, Steve's fiction never did that. And I think we're approaching a time now where Americans are getting a clue that there's a bigger world out there. We are not immune from history to history. And I'd like to foster that kind of writing. So in my way that I can do that and plus have fun in the desert. So stay tuned, folks. <laughs> Steve Erickson, we're almost out of time, but I just wanted to come back to you. We started with Susan. We want to end with you and American Stutter. You mentioned, I think, where we're stuttering next, but um, some final thoughts. I wish I had a prophecy for you, but I don't. I think that America is not only worth saving, but uh, can be saved, but it means people starting to pay attention. And I do think there are more sane people than crazy people here, but the sane people have to start caring. We all get caught up in our lives. God knows I do too. 
But we're at a tipping point, I think. And the moment to save democracy is uh, here and now. Indeed, it is. It is here. Steve Erickson, author most recently of American Stutter, available at journaloftheplagueyears.ink. Susan Zakin, editor at journaloftheplagueyears.ink. Thank both of you so much for taking time out to come on the Project Censored show today. I think that the work that both of you are doing is exemplary and really does create a, a viable model, not just for literature, but journalism moving forward that's brave, that's fearless that doesn't just speak truth to power, but speaks truth as power and really tries to wake people up on our path to the future. Steve Erickson, Susan Zakin, thanks so much for joining us today. You've been listening to the Project Censored show on Pacifica Radio, Established in 2010 by myself and Peter Phillips. I'm Mickey Huff, the executive producer and host of the program. Anthony Fest is our longtime senior producer. The Project Censored show airs on roughly 50 stations around the United States from Maui to New York. To learn more about our work or find any of our previous archive programs, go to projectcensored.org. Please follow and like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And be sure to subscribe to the official Project Censored show on your cell phone's podcast application. Please feel free to share your feedback about our work at projectcensored.org. And thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Stay well. We'll see you next time. Unthinkable crimes perpetrated by the criminal minds with political ties, habitualized alibis, disguised under the guise of democracy, politics, and the apocalypse. Got the skies looking ominous. So the ocean burned bright with waves full of poison. Genocide wars fall for little poison. The weapons manufactured paid for by taxing while the bridges and the levees and the mines collapsing. All the prisons build the capacity citizens. And the times for the master thief. Combine and conquer, steal the masterpiece. Open your eyes and realize what's happening. Times running out the reach. All potential fame at the table, then you probably on the menu.